Grace be to you in peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We turn our attention to Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples grumble in vain? The kings of the earth take a stand, and the rulers join together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us tear off their chains and throw off their ropes from us. The one who is seated in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he speaks to them in his anger, and in his wrath he terrifies them. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. You will smash them with an iron rod. You will break them to pieces like pottery. So now, you kings, do what is wise. Accept discipline, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, or he will be angry and you will be destroyed in your way for his wrath in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of our Lord. We pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I read the gospel lesson, I was wondering if maybe Jesus might have been thinking of these words of Psalm 2. As he saw the Sadducees and the Pharisees, usually not very friendly with each other, but uniting together against him. They were taking turns, coming up with questions they thought would be a trap for Jesus. Questions they thought would get him to say something, anything, that they could use against him, that they could use to discredit him. Why do the peoples grumble in vain? Why do they take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed one, Jesus? Psalmist gives us the answer. Let us tear off their chains and throw off their ropes from us. They were feeling that God had burdened them. His commandments, his decrees were burdensome. They wanted to do what they wanted to do, the way they wanted to do it, when they wanted to do it, without any guilt. They wanted to be their own gods. No restrictions. When it came to Jesus, well, he was a threat to everything. He was a threat to their popularity. Everyone was following Jesus and listening to him. He was a threat to their power. They were worried that all the people who were following Jesus, the Romans, would smell revolt, and they'd blame them, the leaders, and they'd lose everything they worked so hard for, their power, their popularity, everything that they loved would be gone. They were doing all they could. They take their stand against the Lord and against his anointed one. We hear that same attitude in our world today, and we also hear it in our hearts, that stubborn, sinful nature that we're born with. It says the same thing, doesn't it? God's commands and his decrees, they're, they're burdensome. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, the way I want to do it, without any guilt, without any restrictions. I want to be my own God. 
world says, our sinful nature says. When you think about it, that's really the reason for pushing the idea of evolution. You see, if God isn't the creator of everything that exists, then he doesn't get to make the rules. If God didn't create everything that exists, then those commands and decrees, they're not really gods. They're just things that people made up to be able to control other people. It's really the source of political correctness, right? No one should feel bad. No one should feel guilty. And if you say that Jesus is the only way to salvation, well, that's the most judgmental, loveless thing that anyone could say. How could anyone think that that would be true? The world and our sinful nature get together and they say, let us tear off their chains, let us throw their ropes from us. And the Pharisees and Sadducees tried to trap Jesus. As the psalmist predicted, he smashed them with an iron rod. He broke them to pieces like pottery. That iron rod was really a sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. After they finished asking him all their trap questions and didn't have the effect they desired, Jesus said, Now I'm going to ask you a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Well, of course, the answer is the son of David. And the Bible said he would be, right? The Messiah would be a descendant of David. But then Jesus asked, then how can David in the spirit, by inspiration, call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Pottery smashed. No one could answer him a word. From that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Many who heard him probably didn't get it. They really didn't know the answer. But certainly, some did. Probably the Jewish leaders did. They just didn't want to admit to the answer. Because if they were to admit to the answer... They would be saying that the Messiah was supposed to be not just the son of David, but also the son of God. You and I, by the grace of God, do get it. The Messiah, Jesus, is the son of David, born of the Virgin Mary, who is the descendant of David. But he's also the son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, just who the angel said he was going to be, the one who is born of you, that holy one born of you, will also be called the Son of God, the angel told Mary. God says to the psalmist of the Messiah, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. By God's grace, you and I have been brought to see that that's exactly who Jesus had to be. He had to be a descendant of David, the son of David, a human being just like us. A human being, flesh and blood, body and soul, so that he could be under the law as our representative. 
and also so that he could be physically nailed to the cross and die. But he also had to be the Son of God. So that as he was under the law, just as we are, unlike us, he could keep it without sin. So that on the cross, his suffering and death could be enough to pay the price for the sins of the whole world. The iron rod of God's law has smashed the stubborn pottery of our hearts, too. It's brought us to see our sin has brought us to recognize how desperately we need a Savior. And the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, has convinced us that as impossible as it seems, Jesus really is the Son of Man and the Son of God. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, so that he could be exactly who he needed to be in order to carry out God's plan of salvation pay for our sins. By God's grace, because we have been led to see all that Jesus has done for us, we no longer want to tear off his chains. In fact, by God's grace, we see what Moses was talking about in our first reading. We see that God's decrees and laws are not burdensome. God's decrees and laws were given to us for our good. God of the highest heavens, the God who made all things that exist, who put them in the order that they're in, who made the rules that govern them, he's given us those rules for our good. Another psalmist says, By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Not that by keeping them we earn a reward from God. We'd have to be perfect if that were true. Just as it is, with our earthly parents, usually goes better for you when you do what they ask, when you follow their rules. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, Herod, Pilate, the high priests, they all conspired against the Lord and against his anointed one. Reminds you of that parable of Jesus where he talked about the, the servants of who didn't want their master to be made king. He had gone off to be made king, and they sent a delegation after him and said, we don't want him. Don't make him king. They gathered together and did everything they could to keep Jesus from being their king, even having him nailed to the cross, even coming to Pilate and saying, that placard that you put up there above Jesus' head that says, the king of the Jews, we don't like it. We don't want him to be our king. But the one seated in the heaven laughs. These mere mortals who discover something I've done and then think they're smart. These mere mortals who figure out some of the orbits of the planets but don't really know how they got there or can't do anything to change them. They're just mere mortals. How can they oppose me and stop my anointed one from doing his work? They're foolish, powerless. All of the wisdom and all of the power of all the nations of the world are like a drop in a bucket to me, God says. 
speaks to them as anger and his wrath he terrifies them. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Jesus was made king in spite of everything that they did to stop him. God raised him from the dead, placed all things under his feet. Everything seen and unseen, all the nations, all the powers, all the wisdom of the world, everything placed under his feet. For those who opposed him, that's the worst possible news. It terrifies them. Because they realize if they opposed him and said, we don't want him to be our king, and he was made king anyway, they're in trouble. They know what they deserve. They deserve to be punished. They deserve to be sent out of his kingdom. It's a picture of us too, right? That's what we deserve because of our sins. Our sinful nature doesn't want Jesus to be our king. We don't want to listen to God and his rules. So he was made king. He is king. He deserved to be sent out of his kingdom forever. Thankfully, he's not vengeful like us. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So, you kings, you who oppose me and my anointed one, do what is wise. Accept discipline, serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Confess your sins. Admit that you were wrong, that God is King of kings and Lord of lords, that he only wants what's good for you, that he loves you. Rejoice with trembling as you realize that instead of giving you what you deserve, he gives you what you don't deserve. Instead of punishment, he gives you forgiveness. Instead of hell, he gives you heaven. Kiss the sun. Show Jesus how grateful you are for all that he's done for you in spite of what you did to him. Make him the object of your greatest affection. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And when you realize how much he has loved you and that that love is there for every person in the whole world, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't put him off. Don't take Jesus for granted. His wrath can flare up in a moment. He's coming again. It will be in a moment, in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at a time that's unexpected. And when he comes, the day of grace will be over. But those who take refuge in him, who rejoice in him each day with trembling, as they recognize how gracious God has been to them, who run to him for forgiveness, for protection, for every good thing, they have nothing to fear. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who continue to take their stand against him, who see his commands as chains and his decrees as ropes, who don't want him to rule over them, they'll get their wish. They will be excluded from his kingdom. They will have a ruler. It won't be themselves, but the prince of darkness. And be sent out into the outer darkness where there's only misery and guilt and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus still today asks you, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? 
I got grace, may you always be able to answer. He is the son of David, born of the Virgin Mary, but also the son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, exactly who he needed to be in order to pay for all my sins. He's my Savior. I take refuge in him. Amen.